How is it going, everybody? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you to episode 34 of The Way of the Wolf. On the show today, I've got a good friend of mine. We have known each other for probably uh, 15, 20 years at this point in time. He is a banker and entrepreneur uh, into health and fitness, very much a family man. Uh, his name is Daniel Wolfson. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah. So I think that um, as as I was making notes for the show, I kind of came to this realization that with a last name like Wolfson, you should have been my first guest, <laughs> quite frankly. So not sure what happened there, but I'm so glad to have you on the show. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your background, what you do, and then also, as you are very well aware, entrepreneurship is something that we talk about a lot on the show. And I know that you and Chrissy have kind of ventured into this realm in recent years, so I want to hear you uh, kind of share your story and how all of that has gone. Yeah, man, absolutely. All right, so where do you want to start? First of all, this setup is sweet. Thank I you. Thank you. We were you. talking about this earlier. I love that. The wolf head is awesome. Yeah, so Ethan Curry... He is the guy that that he actually fabbed up the table for me, fabbed up the wolf head. I get a tremendous amount of compliments on it, and it, it's just, again, the studio's taking a little while for it to come to fruition, and it's still not quite there, but I love it. Yeah. Well, the sound sounds great. It's yeah. getting You've it's getting better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have some episodes where the audio's not quite right or the video's not quite right, and I, I have people that are... Very quick to tell me that. So even though I already know, maybe I was the first one that said, "Hey, man, <laughs> yeah." Turn it well, okay, so that's a good point. You know, whenever you started listening to the show, it was something that and I think I even expressed this to you how much I appreciated your your honesty. Yeah, and just saying, "Hey, you know, I, I like the content. Didn't really care for this. Your audio is all screwed up, but other than that, it was good." <laughs> <laughs> of course, so, man. So okay, who who is Daniel Wolfson? Um, so. Moved here from Russia, didn't speak a lick of English at all. And when was that? 91. Okay. So, so right you were... Before how old were you? Fell. I was 10. 10? Okay. Yeah. Right before communism fell. Mm -hmm. So moved here and Russia fell apart. Mm. So we were living in Houston and figuring out that, hey, we need to, you know, visas expire quickly. So we need to figure out and move into citizenship. How do we get through that process? Because we want to stay here for a while. And when you're a man with no country, that becomes hard to do. Mm. So that process typically takes six, seven years. Took us about 12. Wow. So 2002, 2003, I raised my right hand and, you know, became a citizen. So mm -hmm. very difficult process. Yeah. You know, so I've helped or am going through that process. We have a number of Canadians that we are kind of moving here to the States and, and it is, it's painful and tedious just coming from Canada. It's a multi-year process trying to go through all of that stuff. So I can't imagine how that, how difficult or challenging that was for, for you and your family. Um, I guess, especially when you and your sister were so young, how old yeah. was your sister at that time? She was six. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hmm. So, yeah. So I, you know, I went to school in Willis, obviously, you and I went to school in Willis um, graduated 2000, went to, didn't know what I was going to do in my life at all. Mm -hmm. And man, I was nerdy. I love video games. I love PC games. My, my deal was building PCs. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew that about me, but not back then I didn't No. So I built for friends, for family, didn't charge a dime. Yeah. I figured it would take, uh, you know, 4,000 for a good setup. I could do it for two, mm -hmm. maybe two and a half. And it's going to be as pretty. Yeah. You know, it's not like your Apple, but, but it's going to perform well. Yeah, It's going to do great. Yeah. yeah. So I went to, went to Sam Houston, not knowing what I was going to do, but I, I knew my passion was this. And first year, I got hit hard, man. 
computer science is not what you think it is. Oh, God, no. Not no. in college. Computer science is coding. Yep. So I failed my first class, cheated through it, yeah. and did not do well. Went back to my dad and said, hey, I don't know what to do. And in, in Russia, we're, we're, family always sits down together. Mm-hmm. And we're always communicating, and we're always trying to figure things out together. What are we going to do? And my dad said, hey, you know, the top tier of people in Russia are bankers. You got bankers, you got attorneys, you got notary publics, which I didn't know that was a, a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's free here. And he said, hey, you ought to look into banking. I said, man, I don't know. He said, what do you like? I said, oh, I don't know. I want to make money. Yeah. All right. Go make money. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally print money, but go make money. Yeah. So I went to, uh, went to a bunch of different places. And throughout college, I was working. There was one year where I got seven W-2s because I was working restaurant and and retail and, you know, but all these places close at, uh, you know, retail closes at six, at seven. And you got to figure out what are you going to do? How are you going to make more money? How are you going to get more hours, right? So you move into restaurant. And then uh, Chrissy and I met and we had kids. So you can't work 60, 70 hours a week paying for your own self through college, going to party, going doing the fraternity life and have kids and have a wife and have something that means something to you, you know? You gotta, you gotta grow up. Yeah. So through that process, I was changing majors, and I started working for a credit union. Dude, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. Which one? Smart Financial Credit Union. Okay. Uh, this l- little old dumpy building in Conroe, you know, off uh, Longmire. Walked in and and I saw I met with a guy that was there for thirty eight years, and I thought, man, that's cool. That's cool. He's been very passionate about what he does for this long. So I applied. Started working there and uh, changed my major. Majored in, uh, changed it to finance, and then Sam Houston came out with a commercial banking program. So I said, okay, cool, let's add another year. Why not? And do, do you want to also minor in accounting? Okay, cool, let's add that as well. So that was like a six-year program. Mm-hmm. Graduated, came back to my boss at the credit union and said, hey, look, I graduated. She said, that's great, Daniel. Keep doing what you're doing. And so right away, I was like, oh, man, I got to go back. So I went back to college and talked to the dean uh, of banking. And he gave me a phone number of this guy. And he said, hey, here's this guy that in the woodlands. Call him and ask him for a job. So I said, okay, cool. Called uh, this guy, James, who is still one of my good friends, still probably the best leader that I've ever known. I didn't know he was the president. So I called, you know how you press one to save or two to like erase or hear yourself, you know? I pressed it like 12 times, 15 times. <laughs> Finally, this guy called me back, um, hired me on the spot, and I was a credit analyst for a couple of years and then moved into production lending. So that's where you're actually going out and making loans. And the financial crisis hit. So that was tough. You remember the Wolf of Wall Street where he starts in, oh, yeah. in that movie? as that, that was me, mm-hmm. right? That was me showing up to work and then the world shuts yeah. down. So I moved into what's called um, um, failed loans, right? So special asset group where you restructure deals. So I learned how to lend backwards in a way. Well, like that's the way I describe it is figuring out where people messed up and how do I correct that, right? How do I do it the right way? And some banks failed. Some banks succeeded. This bank did not succeed. So right before, about six months before, I moved to a different bank, to Plain State Bank. Um, lots of managers, no leaders. Mm. Yeah. So 
Um, and then my old boss that hired me uh, at the first bank I worked at called me and said, hey, man, we're competing. And we're literally giving the same exact terms to the same customers. Come work for me. Come work with me. I said, okay, cool. So, of course, I gave him the kitchen sink. Here's, here's what, I, what, I, what I'm looking for. So, real quick on that. He said, come work with me? Yep. That's, That's cool. been a huge sticking point for me. That huge. Is, so, here's the thing. That is so cool. Whenever you're talking about him being a leader and using just small little tweaks and adjustments to verbiage is so damn powerful. Yep. So, sorry, go ahead. That's that's been my sticking point since then when people say, "Oh, so and so works for me." Mm-hmm. Mm, they're not really working for you. You're a team. You're working together because that your job doesn't get done without that other person. And further and further and further. Yep. So, big deal for me. He was also the first person that, you know, I came in out of college dressed nice, you know, and I've got my puka shell necklace and he called me in the office, which is to me still, still, I still remember that. He said, man, you got to take that off. This is, you got to dress. Even if you don't know what you're doing, you got to fake it till you make it. You got to do it. I said, all right, sounds good. So I did that kind of followed everything. Mm -hmm. Um, not just a manager, but a leader, a person that is not just checking off your time clock, but empowering you to do something. So that was, that's something that I've learned and kept up still with him. Um, I don't work with him mm-hmm. anymore. I'm at a different bank. Um, but I worked with him and his team for, I guess, overall about 15 years, 14 years. That's a pretty good while. Yeah. Yeah. Good while. So I did this. Um, and in the last couple of years, you know, I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to sit there and be somewhere for 40 years in the same position. There's a lot of people that do that and good, Kudos to them. And, and they're happy. Yeah. That's, that's all they want out of life. Yeah. Um, my, my thought has always been someone really important to me told me, if you can't put something on your resume once a year, you got to move. Mm-hmm. You got to do something else. In terms of progression. You got to progress. Yep. That's right. If you can't do mm-hmm. something different, you have to do it yourself. You have to get out and learn and figure it out and do it. That may be at the same place. That may be at a different place. That's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So... I went back to my boss's boss and I asked him, hey, what can I do? What, what can I do better? Where can I excel? Where can I, to where I can progress in the next two, three years and to the next level, right? That would be a regional leadership position. And he said, hey, um, you know, you're just too young for that, Daniel. Oh, man, that hit me. The 17, 18 years of experience didn't matter at that point. What mattered is my age and gray hair, or lack of gray hair, right? So that kind of hit me. That kind of hit me. Um, and then I started looking. Man, I had this recruiter that kept calling me for years and years and years. And finally, I said, okay, what's up? Here's what I'm looking for. Here's my challenge. Here's the issues. And he said, well, I've got a few banks, but they're not in the area. Would you be willing to talk to them? I said, well, I don't know. It's kind of steep. (laughs) Starting a new place. Okay, let's let's do it. So I interviewed with a bunch, and one actually mentioned family. They they really didn't care about what I'm doing for work. They cared about my life. They cared about me as a person. They cared about training. They cared. They they didn't talk about goals at all. We didn't talk about money at all. It was it was future. And a lot of these folks in there in that bank still have been there for 30, 40, some 50 years, 
So I looked at that as, as pretty impressive. And that was the first, first opportunity I took. To, so now I'm at Austin Bank, mm-hmm. senior VP for Austin Bank, leading the Woodlands team. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. As long as we've known each other, I didn't. I never knew <laughs> all of those uh, components of of your story. I mean, I knew that you just skyrocketed to the top as a banker. At least that was my perception from the outside looking in. Yeah. And then hearing that from you, it it kind of makes me reflect back and think. And I, I talk a lot about you know, there's no overnight successes. I mean, you've definitely put in the work. You've mm-hmm. put in the time. You've put in the work. And there's, I mean, you. You have things to show for it. It's very impressive what you've been able to accomplish in your in, in terms of your professional career. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. It's so, like that iceberg you see. You know, you see the that that the iceberg on top, but you don't see what's underneath. You know, the water. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. And people say all the time, "Oh, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing so well." But I mean, yeah. But you didn't think about the struggle that you go through for 18 years to get to this point. Yep. You know, I have I have some people that that I uh, work with and that are on some of the teams that that I work with. And recently, one of them came to me and said, "Hey, I want to get better at at public speaking." And whenever whenever you're in a meeting and you and you talk to us, you just have this like commanding presence, and and you know what you're talking about, and you're able to kind of just captivate all of us. I want to know how to do that. And I said, "You know, that's great." It's going to take time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's taken me 20 years to yep. get comfortable with where I'm at. And I'm still not where I'd like to be. But a lot of it just comes with time and experience and exposure and and being able to speak intelligently to a, a myriad of different topics at any given time and being able to sh- shift gears. And, you know, another thing I will say also is the ability to have conversations up and down the entire chain of command. So walking in, having a conversation with the CEO and COO, and then the next day going out to a district and having a conversation with an operator and a field guy Mm -hmm. and being able to relate and convey a similar message in a way that both people understand. Yeah. Because, you know, some people kind of live in this world over here. Others are living in, in this world. And the ability to kind of navigate through those, that's I found that to be key or at least one key element of, of success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's one thing I love about the bank that I'm at now. The CEO will call me mm-hmm. on a cell phone. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have everyone's phone number saved in there yet. Yeah. I did this stupid thing of moving mid COVID, you know, mid pandemic <laughs> where my friends were being fired and, you know, let go and furloughed. And I had to furlough some folks, but mm-hmm. here I am taking another position, taking the chance, you know, mm-hmm. I uh, missed on out, out on a lot of opportunities in the past um, because I was scared, scared to take the leap, scared to take an opportunity. I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. So on uh, two episodes ago, I had Chris Tarver on, and we were talking about that fear holding people back and knowing when to jump. And I see a lot of people that, that will stay with the same company and the same job for years and some people it's just because they're happy and that's what they love doing. And that's, that's fantastic. And then there's other people that I've, I feel are so petrified of maybe it's change that they're so scared of, 
but at the end of the day, that's that's how you grow. If you want to sit in your comfort zone and in your little bubble, that's that's cool. But don't expect to ever be SVP at a bank mm-hmm. or you know a vice president at some oil and gas company or anything like that. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. That's and, right. And push. And so, anyways, we, we were kind of talking through that and how it's um, very unfortunate. But I think that. When, for me personally, whenever I identify those people on, on teams that I work with, I push them. I mean, I push them really hard, sometimes to their breaking point, then I back up. Mm-hmm. But that is something that I do put a concerted effort on. And, and I think as leaders, it's our responsibility to push people to that point, to push them to be the best version of themselves. So, yeah, 100%. 100%. Very cool. Yeah, there's, there's opportunities I had in the past, not just work. But uh, through B&I, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, <clears throat> man, I had crazy years. 17, 18, 19 were insane production years for me where, um, I mean, 400% of my goal, right? And that was a huge thing from networking. So I had this opportunity in mid-19, um, at the end of each year, typically, all the regions get together. This is through networking. They all get together and they decorate their table and their chapters and all that, and and they invite visitors. So visitors come in and they and they go from table to table to table. There's, I mean, probably 25, 30 chapters show up. So we're talking three, 400 people at least, right? And I was being recognized. The director of, of our region came to me and said, hey, Daniel, you know, you had a great year last year. And it's all tracked through, through these networking apps, right? So we had a great year. Can you talk a little bit about it? Thank your team. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I said, man, I'm kind of scared. You know, I don't want to get in front of 400 people I don't really know. And, and she said, you know what? That's, that's okay, Daniel. That's all right. I'll, I'll go to the next person. So I sat there in this, you know, stood there in this meeting, seeing the next person after me present, thank their team, thank their leaders, thank their, their entire chapter. And I said, man, why did I do that? Why did I not, what, it's not a fear of snakes. It's not a fear of falling. It's, it's in my, it's in your head. That's it. And I didn't take that chance and I regret it ever since. So from that point on, this is two, three years ago. I said, man, anything that comes to me that makes sense, I'm going to do it. Why not? So what, 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 what are you scared of? Right. You're scared of standing in front of three, 400 people that are they all going to be disappointed with you? Are they all going to boo you and throw tomatoes? No, it's all in your heart. It's all in your head. It's bullshit. It is. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. That's right. So crazy. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at at public speaking, and this is something that I've shared this story in the past as well, but this has been something that I've tried to get better at over the years because the first time I had to present to our, our senior executives, it was at an executive strategy session. There's probably about 60 presidents, vice presidents, C-level C executives, directors, and you know, kind of all the senior leadership at a business. And I had to get up and talk about digital strategy and holding onto the podium. Like <laughs> I was just, and, and one of our presidents came up, our director of leadership development came up and he's like, oh man, you did so great. And I'm like, come on, hitch, just quit messing with me. Yeah. <laughs> it sucked. Yeah. But over the years, I've just forced myself to to get up and get in front of people and, and talk to people. And you know what? That actually is probably a good segue into the, the BNI stuff. <laughs> so I know we've got other stuff that we're going to cover, but 
So uh, first, talk talk to the group about what BNI is. So a lot of people don't know that it's a global, massive organization that's been around for 35, 40 years. It's huge. Uh, so I just wrote down some numbers. Um, 283,000 members throughout the world. So we've had some people from London, Singapore. They'll come in and visit us. They've got 200 members, 100 members. We've got 35. So they've got two, uh, 100 to 200 in one chapter? One chapter. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this chapter, I think, has uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the region, the Houston region has 56, I'm going to butcher this, 56, 55 chapters. So each chapter, um, so I'm the banker in my group. So it's a chair-specific, industry-specific. Um, so, for example, we have 35 people, and there can only be one banker. There can only be one business coach, one IT professional, and, and so on. And, it, you know, it ranges from everybody from Mary Kay up to executives. You just can't have two Mary Kay people, you know. And so you get, you, know, you go to, to meetings once a week, and you present your commercial, typically the last 60 seconds, and, and hopefully you sell those people, you make those relationships with the people that are in that room, especially visitors that are joining, especially the members that are there. And you end up, you end up creating relationships and bonds that are kind of hard to break. Um, and it's all through what's called, BNI calls giver's gain. <clears throat> so I want to give you as much as I can. I don't expect anything, but it's, it's kind of like doing business. My, uh, one of my leaders told me a long time ago, you got to do business with your customers, right? Because if you're investing money in, with them, you trust them enough. Why aren't you doing business with them? So I take that, take that pretty serious. So I go to, you know, if I've got an attorney that I financed a building for, so I go to, if I have a, a need, I'll go to them. So, um, you know, there's, the BNI itself has passed over 12 million referrals in one year. So referral is me giving you, um, hey, go talk to this person or this person needs your, your help as a business coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's about 10,000 chapters that are just like ours throughout the world. So I give you a referral. You give me a thank you. That business across the just in one year through mm-hmm. COVID – generated $18 billion in revenue. That is wild. Right? Wow. Yeah, so I get about 60% of my business just from that chapter and being able to visit other chapters and network throughout the organization. 60% of your banking business? Yep. yep. That's impressive. Yeah. So I'm going to share a little bit of a story. Daniel invited <laughs> me to the BNI event. It was probably three weeks ago now, if, mm-hmm. I, if I remember correctly. And he came in, he said, or well, beforehand, he was telling me, hey, uh, put together a little, you know, minute long speech of your business and, and what you would like everybody to know. I was like, all right, yeah, that's cool. I can, I can do that. So then he calls me or shoots me a text message said, hey, we've got somebody who's not going to be able to <laughs> come in this day. Can you do his commercial as well? And I was like, well, okay, well, what's it about? And it was uh, a gentleman named Chad Sullivan and selling insurance. Shout out to Chad. Yeah, exactly. So, which I haven't uh, haven't uh, reached out to him yet, but I need to. I'm going to ha- have him quote out my stuff. In any event, 
So Daniel sends me basically Chad's little commercial. So I put so much effort into memorizing Chad's commercial because I didn't want to butcher it for this guy that I never met. And we're going around the room, and I get up, I, I give Chad's commercial, and then a little bit later, I do mine. I feel like I kind of butchered mine because I put so much effort into making sure that Chad's was, was right. Uh, the rest of the afternoon, everybody was calling me Chad. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> no. Um, but also, it was kind of comical because other people, I think there was maybe two others that weren't there, but there were actual members that, that gave their speeches. So... Um, Leave it to Daniel to be a trickster and get the new guy to come in and, and do that. And then, actually, at the end of that that day, you got promoted to the president of this chapter, yeah. correct? Talk about taking opportunities, huh? I know. Okay, so tell me a little bit about that. How does your role shift now that you're uh, the president? So I've someone told me when I first joined BNI nine years ago, this guy, Ed, came up to me. I was just a visitor. When I was at, at a previous bank, that bank was really big in networking. And they said, how are you going to go out and get business? I don't know. Join the chamber, mm-hmm. Rotary. Yeah. Cool. So I joined the chamber and I was probably the youngest guy there. You know, you got a bunch of gray hair. <laughs> and if you're not already doing business there, if you haven't been there for 20 years, you're not. Good luck. So I joined, uh, visited a bunch of B&I chapters. And this guy, Ed, said, I challenge you to do this. I challenge you to not join right now, but go look at different chapters. Go visit. And pick one that you think is going to be best. And then come back and talk to me. So he didn't give me any, any, any warning like I gave you about, hey, you're going to do a commercial in front of 30 different people, 35 <laughs> different people. I just walked in and, and sat down. You know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I sat there and played on my phone. And he got me out of my chair. He said, no, you got to get up. You got to talk to people. You have to, you have to shake hands, give out business cards. Okay, cool. So it came time for me to give my commercial. Of course, I'm bright red, sweating, <laughs> holding on to that podium, you know, terrified. Yeah. Again, terrified of something that's in me, not terrified of anything. Um, and I loved it, man, ever since then. I, in fact, I got a great referral that first day from somebody I still do business with nine years later. That has probably been my biggest production source, my biggest referral source for the last nine years. Well, and you know what I find impressive about that is, uh, well, one, that you've still got a a customer that you're working with for for such a long period of time and that it came through a networking organization like that. But it speaks to the power of networking. I have some people that, that I work with and coach and especially last year during the pandemic that were like trying to find jobs and they were flooding their resume out hundreds a week, just apply, apply, apply. And my guidance was, I mean, you can keep doing that, but it's, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, get out there and start networking, having conversations with people, you know, LinkedIn is a good medium for something like this where you're able to network online with, with other professionals. Get out there, introduce yourself, send people messages and say, hey, we're in the same industry. What are you doing over here? And just start having conversations. Go have breakfast, have coffee, have lunch. Start building those connections and building those relationships because that is, is in my experience, the best way to get your foot in the door. You can be the best in the world with something, but if nobody knows you, you're just going to sit there in your office and be the best in the world and not really do anything and not accomplish anything. So 
one of the things that that I was impressed about whenever I started doing a little more research on BNI, and I know there's other organizations that kind of do similar stuff, but it's just for those of you listening, there's so much power in networking. Do not underestimate it. And whatever medium you use, if it's uh, joining a group like BNI or LinkedIn or Facebook, really just kind of depends on the type of business that you do. But it, there's a tremendous amount of power. And for those of you introverts, you're going to have to suck it up and get out there. I mean, you have to get uncomfortable. So, yeah. So I was that guy that <clears throat> shows up to meetings, you know, and I'm and I, I literally sit down and I'm staring at my phone. I'm texting my wife or texting whoever, you know, my kids. And that being eyes, what got me out of that funk, out of that not wanting to talk to people. How are you going to get business? Why would you even go? If you're going to go in, sit down, not talk to anybody, leave. You're getting zero out of it, right? So my goal lately has been if I go to a networking event, no matter if it's B&I or if it's uh, commercial real estate association, whatever, I need to talk to three people that I've never talked to before. <laughs> my God. Talk about blowing your mind. <laughs> you know, you, you, it, for an introvert, for somebody that doesn't want to talk to people, oh, my God. Yeah, I can just imagine the thought, like, me at a, at a party or a group of people that that I don't know. If I don't know you, I'm not talking to you. I'm yeah. in the corner petting a dog if there's one yep. there. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but, you know, when you when you go out there and you, and you put yourself out there and you take that chance, you meet people that also are afraid to maybe talk to somebody, right? You walk up and you say hi, and you don't know who you don't know. You don't know who you're going to meet. So I did this a couple of years ago. I, I, I went to a name is cream, terrible name. Yeah. Commercial real estate association, of Montgomery County, <laughs> right? There's about 150 people that meet. So you go in and everyone's in suits. Everyone is nice. It's at the Woodlands country club and oh my God, talk about scared. Right? So I go in and I start talking to people, different people that I didn't know. I saw a few folks that I did and I asked them, Hey, connect me with a commercial real, real estate agent. That's my, that's my, my jam, right? That's who I, I need to talk to. He connected me to a guy. And I think I've probably gotten 50 million in business from him just from one person, one person. That's it. That I didn't know that I was scared to talk to. He introduced me. We knocked it out, had lunch the next day and I mean, years of business. Whenever I hear that, I mean, these are the types of things that can change the trajectory of someone's life. Mm -hmm. If, especially for those of you that are entrepreneurs and get out there, if you find the right person, if you're in, in some sort of real estate development or, or, you know, housing, flipping houses, whatever that may be, whenever you start networking, if you meet that right person, it can actually change the entire trajectory of your life and your family's lives for generations if done right. That's right. So it's just, it's so, so powerful. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your entrepreneurship venture that you <laughs> and Chrissy have decided to partake in. I was so confused whenever I heard about this. I was like, whoa, what? Yeah. All right, I'm going to come to the grand opening. I'm going to check this out. So tell me a little bit about it. A couple of white folks owning a nail salon, right? <laughs> People are like, oh, is your wife Asian? Well, no, not really. Well, you're not quite white. I mean, you're pretty dusky. <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you, my, my old man, um, whenever we still lived in Russia, he was the, the first 
um, private business owner in a world of communism. So he owned a tire shop and a battery battery repair shop back in you know 80s, late 80s. And he's always been so uh, you know entrepreneur from heart, just driven, always ideas, always talking about different things, but not really connecting. If that if that makes sense, you know, we know a lot of people that have great ideas that talk about things, and then five years later, twenty years later, they're still talking about things, and it gets to a point where, okay, either you pull the trigger or you don't. Okay, so a lot of people that have this this clue, okay, I'm going to start this, but maybe next year, or hey, uh, I'm 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 going to eat like shit this weekend, but I'll start on Monday, right? I'll start working <laughs> out, and I'm going to be really strict. Yeah. Why? Just do it. Mm-hmm. Take take the risk and do it. So we got to, um, we, uh, you know, I do a lot of, I used to do a lot of small business loans, small business association. So you come to me and you say, hey, Daniel, I want to open up uh, XYZ office, you know. I say, okay, cool. You give me a business plan. We talk about it. I finance it, right? And you open and you're doing great. So I did these over and over and over. And you start looking at people and you're like, man, if they can do it, I can do it. What's so hard about this, right? So we started looking at different, different businesses. You always want to own something, right? You want the freedom to do something yourself. So we started looking at different businesses. What is successful when the economy is good and when it's bad? So your hair always grows, right? You mm-hmm. always need to cut your hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do it yourself, but it's probably going to look amazing. I try. Okay. So I'm going to stop you right there. So when the pandemic hit, all the uh, barbershops and hair places and everything were all closed down. I've been going to uh, the same stylist for, for many years. Her name is Hunter. She's absolutely incredible. So anyways, pandemic hits, everything's closed down and my hair starts growing and my hair kind of, it's very thick and voluminous and it turned into this <laughs> this afro thing that was very difficult to control so i've got my i got my my clippers and i was like okay well let me go ahead and give this a try so i'm in the bathroom trying to and and god so ended up with this mushroom looking thing nice. that i couldn't really do anything with i could not get the fade right so i said okay you know what i'm just going to go ahead and buzz the whole thing turns out i actually kind of liked it and yeah. ended up wearing that for probably i don't know 8 or 9 months or so and uh, in any event, yes, hair hair always grows, and I was a little nervous to do it at first. Turned out okay for me, but for uh, women, I don't think that's really an, an option. Yeah, yeah. So we went to a grand opening for one of my customers, mm-hmm. uh, one of my customers' customers, and um, he started a tune-up salon, right? So we go in, and there's it's a fun environment. There's music playing. There's things are happening. There's drinks being poured. There's a full bar. I'm like, Shit, this is great. Okay. Prices must be, you know, 75, 80 bucks. No, they're 25 bucks for a haircut. Okay. So it's not your sport clips, but it's not the boardroom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a quality, quality cut, and you get some free drinks with it in a conversation. Like, shit, this is cool. Okay. Well, I don't want to really own a haircut place. What else you got? Right. So we we went to a grand opening of a the same company, same franchisor. They had a um, a nail salon. So we went to that grand opening, and I really liked it, man. I liked it. And nail salon, I've never been in nails. I've, shit, I think I've had one pedicure in 20 <laughs> years, 30 years, you know. 
And Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I never could bring myself to do it. <laughs> I know. I got dragged by my wife. But, so, you know, we looked at things. Okay, let's buy one of these, um, like Nails of America. That's already existing. <sighs> Shit, that was 1.2 million bucks. To so buy is that a, like a franchise? Or uh, how, how does that work? That's a private business. Okay. Yeah, there's right. a ton of them out there, but it's a family-owned kind of thing. Okay, all right. So what are we, maybe we start our own, mm-hmm. right? So at the same time, we went to this grand opening and as you know, we figured out, okay, this is how much it's going to cost. These are the projections. Let's, let's figure this out. So we said, okay, we can build one for like a fourth of that, maybe a fifth. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? Yeah. It's just money, mm-hmm. right? We can talk about it forever mm-hmm. or we can just do it. Yeah. What's so tough about it? Holy shit. famous last words for every entrepreneur yeah uh i'm not in the day-to-day my wife is and she's amazing at it she's she's very very hard working my daughter's there working as well Mm -hmm. super hard worker yeah um so we we ended up starting this business um hiring people and you know my goal was okay let, let me let me take this back a little bit when is the last time that you actually had some good, damn good customer service? The fact that I'm having to pause and think is very right. indicative. Maybe like Trulux in the Woodlands, something where you go to a nice, fancy yeah. restaurant. But even you go to like a, a doctor, right? It's just crap. Mm-hmm. You go to, when I was in retail, if I didn't talk to that customer as soon as they walk in the door, dude, find another job mm-hmm. right away, right? It's tough. It's like chasing down a customer to say, how are you doing? How can I help you? Yeah. Now, good luck. Man, you can walk around the entire mall and never, no one would ever talk to you. Mm-hmm. So my goal for this was you, whoever works there, whoever comes in there, they've got to have a great atmosphere. They have a great, great time to come in there. People that work there, they have to have a conversation with, with their customer. I don't care what language you are. I don't care what color you are. You're male or female. It doesn't matter. You have to have, you have to carry a conversation. It can be in Vietnamese if your customer speaks it. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, that's, you, can't, you can't speak that, right? The worst thing in a nail salon where you walk in and, and you think that people are talking about you because they're conversing back and forth in, in a different language. So right away, that's gotta, that can't happen. A fun atmosphere, something different. Um, you know, no elevator music, but you got fun pop. Mm-hmm. Um, free drinks, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so just communication, relationship, uh, fun place to work, fun place to be. That's I think it's a goal for everybody, right? And that kind of translated into being a very, very highly reviewed nail salon in the Woodlands. And that was the tough part is finding location. Mm-hmm. But, you know, going through all of this, my wife running the business, and me doing the finance, I think, I used to think finance was like the biggest thing that I can provide to a customer. That's bullshit. That's nothing. What we do, what I do in the finance world is just like one-fifth of the actual business operations. Because then you have employees, you have, uh, oh, by the way, you got to pay payroll taxes. Mm. What? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. And uh, you got to pay rent. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. All right. And you got to pay your loan at the very end. So all of these things are so, so, so challenging. Finance is just, it's a small piece. Mm-hmm. So 
location. Oh my God. You'd be surprised how many people come to me and say, Hey man, I got this great idea. Here's what I want to do. My projections are amazing. I don't really know where I want to be. What? Really? Seems like a kind of a crucial first step. You'd think so. <laughs> but I guess that kind of goes back to some of the people that are that are running businesses and you have to kind of question how on earth are they doing it. Yeah. But they're doing great. Ninety nine percent of the world's, you know, businesses that we see are small business owners. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for any of you that are considering or contemplating starting a business, there's risk. There's a tremendous amount of risk. And and like how risk averse you are will will kind of dictate what your strategy looks like to start your business. Some people just quit corporate America and just dive right in and and live off of ramen for a few years and and others will will try to start a side hustle and 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 build it up over time. I think it's important. Figure out what works for you. I mean, but follow your passion. Right. Right. You know, I always, the older we get, the, the more you can reminisce and kind of look back at things. I see a lot of business owners that have come, come through B&I, especially B&I. <clears throat> There's one lady that, I, that rem- always comes to my head. I don't really know her very well, but I know her as a visitor, and I know what she used to do eight, nine years ago. And she started, her name is Elizabeth uh, Griever. She started flipping houses. Hey, she's going to buy a cash, you know, a home for cash. She's going to turn it around and sell it or flip it or whatever. And she started as a side gig. And then eight, nine years later, I told her, um, I don't know, a couple of months ago when I saw her, I don't really know you, but I'm really proud of you, what you've done. And she started kind of tearing like, wow, this is really cool. Um, and I always think about that with people when they talk about, I want to do this. I want to do this. You started your podcast in what? January. January, okay. Mm-hmm. So, what if you started in January of 2017? How many? Have a lot more listeners. Billions of <laughs> listeners. You know, you'd have a, a 200 million dollar contract with Spotify. Well, or I don't know about that, but but you just think about okay, it's going to take years. You're not going to be mm-hmm. successful overnight. It's yep. going to take years to to grind and to do this on and on and on. So start now. Well, that's what it is. It's a grind, and there are times when, like, I'm thinking. Damn it! I haven't recorded anything. I've got to, but for me, it's it's about consistency, and it's a it's a promise that I made myself, and it's mm-hmm. a commitment that I made to myself. And you know, some shows don't don't do as as good, don't have as many downloads or views, and and others are are incredible. So, yeah. but for me, it's really just about a, a commitment that I made to myself. And then, if anything I say is able to help one person achieve something that maybe they didn't think they could, or maybe I'm able to, to word something in a way that just clicks with somebody, then it's all worth, worthwhile. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, you know, it's kind of the, the way I look at, um, kind of what I do in, in banking, something similar to that is, you know, I can do this anywhere. Mm-hmm. I can do this anywhere, but at the end of the day, who can I help? Who, who can I help that comes to me with an idea and I can help them and I can provide a great product that somebody will pay attention and it'll click to them. At know? what point did your mindset shift to start focusing on who can I help instead of how far can I get in my career? For me, that transition occurred kind of gradually over the past five to six years. Before that, it was all about, like, I had something to prove. 
I, I, I was going to be a, a vice president of IT. I was going to be a CIO. Like I had all of these things that I, that I wanted to accomplish. And probably in my early to mid thirties is whenever my whole world flipped upside down and I realized it's not about me. It's got to be about the people around me and the people on, on the, on my teams and, and that I work with. Man, that's a good question. I would say probably probably four or five years ago, that's changed for me, um, and really just it's the leaders that I had that kind of changed that for me mm-hmm. in a way, um, and also realizing that I like what I do now. I don't know if that's it's it's very cliche, right? Do what you love, blah mm-hmm. blah blah, but. I, I went through a lot of really difficult projects and financing different projects, uh, you know, multi-story hotels, apartment buildings, whatever. And one of my favorite things that, that I did, I'd have to say, is financing churches. And that's what kind of brought, brought me around. So I financed the construction of this large Hispanic church in, in South Houston. And during their first ceremony, I brought this large... Um, so we collect what's called an origination fee, right? It's 1% of the loan. So you collect it from your customer. And for churches, what I did is I donated half of that back to the church, right? So it's a donation from the bank. It goes back. You know, we collect it, and then we turn around and donate it. So it's a kind of a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. But I put it, I take it a little step further. I put it in one of those big, like, four-by-eight checks, right? And I'll bring it, dress up in a suit, you know, bring some people with me and bring it to their first Sunday service with a ton of people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, Chrissy and I have done this together four or five times, Mm -hmm. maybe less, maybe more. And that to me was just eye opening, seeing the project from beginning to end and then being able to thank somebody and recognize the church, recognize the business owner. And that kind of shifted my, mind into where, what can I do for myself? Where am I going to be in 10 years versus what can I do to help? What can I do to, to help people? Right. It, and you know, there's some banks, there's some companies, banks that will shove products down, down the the employee's throat and they say, okay, this is what's making us more money this year. So you got to sell it. Uh, That's where I'm out. I don't do that. It's at the end of the day, what is beneficial for the customer? What is beneficial for the client? I see that a lot with, uh, especially as businesses start to grow and scale, not in all industries, but I've, I've, in my career, I've been very fortunate to have been a part of about, God, 45, 48 acquisitions and integrations in the oil and gas space. And some of those were mom and pop operations that had 20 employees and others came in the door with 600 employees. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years is those, those smaller businesses, they're very tight knit and focus on the taking care of their employees, knowing that their employees will take care of the customers. As businesses get larger and larger in scale, especially post IPO, the focus shifts towards public perception, investor relations. It, and it's, it's less and less about taking care of the employees so that they can take care of the customers and more about like, Hey, 
what am I going to hit? Am I going to hit my quarterly financials? Am I going to do this and this? And so for me, I, I prefer the, the smaller businesses and, and being able to work with, with companies and entrepreneurs and business leaders that, that truly care about the people and building and developing the people. And hearing that story, it's incredible that for you, it was a combination of sharing what you just shared, but then also you mentioned the leaders that you had in your life. And I think we all throughout our career and lives have leaders that we interact with and some imprint on us and leave lasting impressions throughout the entirety of our career. And maybe we don't always keep in touch with them, but there's always like, hey, this person just had a profound impact on me and my life. And that's something that I'm aspiring to try to be that person for others. And it's, it's been quite an incredible journey, but hearing you talk and having this conversation, you strike me as someone who is, is doing that yourself. And so I'm, I'm curious, do you have anybody in your life or any of the businesses that you're kind of a mentor to? and that you kind of guide and coach. You know, I didn't think I did until I look back at some conversations where people say, hey, let me ask your opinion about this, right? And then we end up having a two-hour conversation about something. They didn't come to me as a, as a coach or as a mentor, but they valued my opinion enough to listen and do something, which so... And how did you feel afterwards? Oh, man, you feel amazing. Yeah, because you you're feel, able to help. Yeah. Help that person. That's right. Yeah. Especially when you see that person actually do something that you asked them to do or, mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, to, to me, whenever I whenever I got into that networking group, I used that that term, uh, I challenge you to do something. Because it's something that you don't want to do, but I challenge you to do it. And people take that personally. And they're like, oh, man, okay. Well, I don't want to let Daniel down, right? So that's that that's been... That's worked out well. I like that. I'm going to steal it. Yeah. Just going to go ahead and let you know that. And I'm going to steal that. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that we other talked or that we've got notes on here to talk about is um, listening versus hearing. <laughs> and that's something that, that you put that you wanted to discuss. So what is that? I have my thoughts on it, but what does that mean to you? In your first couple of episodes, you, man, I got to say, I've, I've told probably 20 people about this. You know, there's episodes out there, there's podcasts out there, and people don't really talk about the meat of what what is important. You had one about uh, how to behave on Zoom. Something so simple, duh, right? Mm -hmm. How to behave on Zoom. Yep. But then you listen to it, and you're like, oh, shit, this really makes sense. Mm -hmm. that's, how, that's how you do it. You had one about uh, eye contact, about how to how to behave at meetings, or what to do with your hands, what to do with your eyes, you know. So don't be Ricky Bobby. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of people that we've met in the past that once you're talking to them, their eyes kind of glaze over, or they've moved over, or their phone, you know, kind of goes off, you know. Or you've I know I know I always have these people right. You talk to them and they're you see their mouth start moving. Like they're ready to answer you, interrupt you. They're waiting for that slight little bitty pause to throw in their, their comments, right? They're, they're not listening. They're hearing. Mm -hmm. So 
to me, this is a, some something else that I've, I've been really heavy into business books lately, mm-hmm. and I, I can't remember who who it was that that I was listening to. And said you have to actually put your phone up and be present. And oh my god, man, I, I took that really, really kind of far. And you have to be you have to be a person with the person that you're talking to, right? You have to, I call it tactical empathy. Oh. Yeah. All right. I stole that from Chris Voss. Okay. Great. All great right. Book. You have to you have to be empathetic to the person that you're talking to, whether it's your your wife, your kids, your customer, your boss, whoever it is. And you have to get on their level. You have to be a person. And you have to understand that they're a person. You have to understand their feelings. Because everyone's different, right? Some people show their feelings, some people don't. But you have to have tactical empathy to recognize their feelings. And then they're going to have diarrhea of the mouth. Then they can't stop oh, yeah. talking, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that I've had a, one of my bosses years ago uh, that a lot of people actually struggled with him quite a bit. And I was having conversations with others in senior leadership. And the best way to describe it was he was always listening to respond instead of listening to understand. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest challenge. It didn't matter what I was coming in and the challenges that I was trying to convey that the business was experiencing. He was just like chomping at the bit to tell me what he knew instead of listening to really understand what was going on. And that's just, that's something that's always stuck with me. And I definitely don't, yeah, I don't think that's ever, I've actually told, I have a few people that I work with that, um, that I trust implicitly. And I've said, look, if, if I ever do that, you need to check me and I'm not going to get mad, but I need you to check me, which speaks to, I mean, that's a whole nother topic as far as trusting the people that you work with and being able to handle that type of feedback. But yeah, that's something that I also realized in, in one of the leadership development programs that I had the opportunity to be in from Jason Hitchcock, who was, who was my first guest on the show. He did this exercise uh, called nine minutes where like you and I would sit down and I would get four and a half minutes to talk and you would ask me a question you couldn't engage. So if, if you said, Hey, do, do you have any pets? I would say, yeah, absolutely. I've got a dog named Brinkley. I rescued her such and such. And you could ask more questions. Oh, well, how old is she? Well, you know, what does she look like? You could ask more questions like that, but you could not respond and say, oh, I've got a dog too, and then start talking about your dog. That's brilliant. The intent is to train your mind to be able to have a conversation and dig deeper and give that person the opportunity to talk and to share their story. And it works beautifully on multiple levels. It, it For some people, it was very tricky and challenging because you're like, you you want to engage, you want to talk about your dog. But once you understand conceptually what's going on, you learn so much about the person that you're having a conversation with. And then that person also likes you that much more. Like you're going to, or I'm going to walk away and think, man, that Daniel guy, he's, he's really cool. When all you're doing was asking me questions. I was, I was the one that was talking. So <laughs> works on a few different levels, but that was a really good exercise. Something that I've kind of done with a few other people on my teams in the past. It works out well. Yeah. So that, you know, I, I always tell my employees, my, and, and people that I work with, <clears throat> be present. That's, 
I mean, not just present, like we're here, right? But actually be present to where you are, whether that's that the multitasking, that's bullshit. That doesn't exist because you can't give more than 100% of yourself to anything. The work-life family balance, that doesn't exist either because there is no balance. It's harmony. So you have to be present wherever you are. You have to give it a hundred. How many times have you gone out to dinner and you see people literally sitting in front of each other on their phones the that whole is, time? That is so crazy. It drives me. It drives me bonkers. I had a client in California a number of years ago that I was out there and I was sitting down in a restaurant by myself and looked over in this couple. It was at a nice, nice restaurant overlooking the water, and this couple was sitting down right, right across from one another, looking at their phones. The entire time. Like, I don't think they hardly... Sp- no, he may have been in trouble, but <laughs> to be fair. But I'm sitting here thinking, man, there's this beautiful weather, the water, the ocean, and y'all are just sitting there with your heads in your phones. That's, that's Why crazy. even be there? Why, yeah, exactly. Just go home and eat dinner. Go, yeah. go microwave something. Yeah. So that's been my big thing is... And I'm guilty. Everything that I talk about, I'm guilty of. But we're just trying to work on shit, right? We're trying mm-hmm. to work things out. Yep. And there's a lot of times where I sit there and, you know, Chrissy wants to watch something and I'm sitting there and I, I don't really want to watch it. I don't like this chick flick. And I'll pick up my phone, start mm-hmm. messing with it. And she'll say, she'll say the next day, hey, you saw that part. And I'm like, oh, no, I blanked out throughout the whole movie because I was just playing on my phone. I wasn't present. I didn't. And at the end of the day, whenever you're sitting there talking to somebody, an employee, a customer, whoever, is your time more important than theirs? Is their time more important than yours? No, you're equally important. So you've got to be present for everything that 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 you do, right? Someone told me a long time ago. I don't. I keep forgetting. I'm terrible with names. So I, am when, too. I am too. I, I had to, to write. I had to write down Ethan's name when I go to, <laughs> when I go to quotes. When I go to all these things, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Somebody important. <laughs> somebody told me a long time ago. Don't don't take your damn phone out. Put it up. So I put my my phone in my briefcase. You, you can't because your phone, even if it's upside down, mm-hmm. you're in a meeting, you see it ring, you feel it ring, you're going to pick it up, right? We, we always go to that. We need that dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. So you see, you see it alert you, and right away, you're not present. Yeah, you're distracted, and you're, you're distracted. wondering, who, who called me? Yeah. Who messaged me? You're not having a conversation. Yeah. So that, that relationship that you had with somebody is, is now gone. You don't have the credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that person now feels like they're not important. That's right. You know, that's actually, so this is something that I'm also guilty of. So I carry, I have OneNote on my phone, and so I use it for capturing all my notes. And for a while, I, I kind of went through a phase where I'd walk in, have a conversation or a meeting, and I'd pull up my phone to start taking notes uh, on the conversation. But I realized having an actual notebook, hmm there's still a perception there because we identify phones as distractors. Right. And so for me, I found this is actually more helpful to have just a notebook and then I can later transcribe it into my notes so that I have it on my iPad and computer and stuff like that. But it's those little things that you got to pay attention to and they all add up. There's kind of this, this cumulative, uh, build of all of these little things as a leader being present, how you take notes, how you make eye contact, mm-hmm. how you listen, all of these things 
build, help build you into something great. And they also contribute to a brand that you're building for yourself. Like Daniel is a guy who intently listens. I can have a conversation. He's going to listen to me. He's going to listen to understand. And then he's going to share his thoughts and feedback. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and if I see a lot of people say that. Um, hey, I'm just taking notes. Well, but then your girlfriend or your wife or both will text you and that will <laughs> pop up from the top. And you're going to notice that and you're going to start typing away, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden... You've taken away, you've taken yourself completely out of any conversation, any meeting. I do it all the time. Yeah. Chrissy will text me and I'll, and then someone asks a question in the middle and I'm like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. Like in, in past relationships, what did I just say? (laughs) Uh, Well, what had happened was, uh, (laughs) so Shifting gears a little bit, one of the things that, that I've realized in just in conversations, and you know, also, as I think back over the years, you and I, like, our, I'll say friendship, like, we we hang out more, and then we kind of go our separate ways, and it's kind of like this accordion effect over the years, and recently, I'd say this year, we've, we've had more interactions, and you've just really impressed me at the, some of the things that you've shared with me, and kind of hearing your knowledge of, of leadership and how you approach business and solving problems and, and relationships and networking and stuff like that. And I think that it's interesting as we, as we grow in our lives over time, how much people change. And there, there's, there are people that we went to high school with that have not changed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's others that, that do change. And I think it's, so I feel so much pride for people or proud of people that make that effort and go that extra mile to push themselves out of their comfort zone to, to change. Has that been, well, you've kind of shared some stories. What was one of the most challenging things for you? I mean, getting up, speaking in front of a few hundred people that probably, yeah, was was tough. Are there any others outside of the public speaking side of things in terms of challenges that you were really on the fence like, oh God, I, I'm not sure if I can do this? I, I think anything big that we do, whether you're buying a rental property, um, I don't know if I told you we're we're building a house in the Frio. I did not know that. Yeah. What? Just oh. bought it. Same thing. Same thing. We, I mean, you and I went out there in like 99, 2000, uh, yeah, yep. something, mm-hmm. right? And every time we go, dummies were paying $600 a night, $1,000 a night. Why can't we do this? Yeah, so I'm flashing back. I got to share a story. So uh, we went for our, our senior trip down, uh, got a rent house or a house in on the Frio. And I can't remember, I think you were part of the group that had to go to the grocery store to get groceries. And me and uh, I don't know if it was me, Austin, and I think Chris came back and opened the refrigerator and the whole thing was full of beer, like (laughs) front to back, top to bottom. The whole thing was beer. And then Daniel just had this shit eating grin on his face and he was so proud of himself. And I'm like, Daniel, what are we going to eat? He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. But our goal is to fill that entire fridge, oh, every single. Cr- oh nook my and cranny. goodness! It was it was absolutely hilarious. But yeah, so that's something that I've like. 
started to to contemplate in, in terms of doing a little bit of research to see what that looks like as far as getting rental properties. Uh, whenever we acquired a company last, well, in 2018 in Corpus, I became pretty good friends with the previous CEO, and he had a, a, a lot of commercial real estate and then also uh, rental property uh, like Airbnb, and I think they had a home in California and Florida. He bought a house in the Caymans and Utah, kind of all over the place. And it kind of perked my interest. And then the downturn hit. I'm like, eh, I'm going to hoard all my cash, not do anything with it. But to your point, it's only money. And and that gives you and your family or friends a place to go. And yeah. then also it's another source of income. And I think that's that's also pretty incredible to be able to branch out. So you've got, you've got being an entrepreneur with martinis and, and manicures, and you've got the bank, and then getting into, into rental properties. So is that your first one? That uh, so we used to have a house in Legends Run, right? That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we bought that house in two thousand six for like one hundred and fifteen thousand. Oh, I could not afford it. So mm-hmm. much money. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Right. <laughs> but it was cheaper than rent. Yeah. Right. So we said, okay, cool, let's do it. And then we held on to it for a while. We held on to that for a little bit, and we had some tenants. My sister moved in. She was paying us as well. And then I think we sold it. We made a little bit of money on it, off of it. Sold, paid off some other debt. Um, and ever since then, man, I regret it. I, I truly regret it. That was like a little tax shelter, um, something that you own, something that you build equity in. And you see that on and on and on, you know, you see your tax appraisal come in and you first, your first word is, oh shit. Mm-hmm. And then your second word, okay, cool. Yeah. It's, it's going up in value. Um, someone said this a while ago, you know, God's not making any more land. Mm. That, that doesn't work that way. And, I mean, you see Austin, right? And you can buy this house probably for $350 a square foot out there, mm-hmm. just two hours away, three yep. hours away. It's a little bubble. Mm-hmm. So for for a while, man, we've been talking about this for years, two decades almost. Chrissy and I have been together for 20 years this mm-hmm. this, this year. Um, and finally, my daughter, actually, Kylie, came to me and she said, are you going to do this or what? Oh. Yeah. Like when you're, when your baby girls like, you know, calls you out and you say, shit, okay, I guess so. She said, Hey, I'm about to go to college. I need, we need a place to go party. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool, let's do it. It's just money. Yeah. You put down 10%, whatever, and, and, and the rest of the bank finances. Mm-hmm. But what I figured out in doing this for 19 years is real estate is not going away. It's not depreciating. It's, not going to fall apart. We've had this happen, 2009, 2010. And yeah, it went down in value a little bit. But when you look at it over a 20, 30-year term, you know, you know, length, it's going to appreciate. That's mm-hmm. all it's going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I had... So my first home that I owned, right? Well, uh, Spring Acres, Spring Creek Pines. So right across mm-hmm. from Legends Ranch, where y'all, where y'all were at. After I, I moved out of that house, that house I, I rented it out for a year, and the market was good, and I ended up listing it for, oh, God, 45000 more than I paid for it. And I was just like, I was like, hell yeah, all right. But I've looked back on it and thought, my God, yeah. what, what, like, because I had paid it down. My, my monthly payment on it, because I paid it down so much, was like 400 bucks a month. Yeah. I was like, oh, God. Right now, you could probably pull an extra fifteen hundred dollars in in your pocket out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, something that I want to start doing some more research on getting into. And hey, I know a banker. 
That's right. <laughs> it's it, in in. I mean, really, it's you. You asked me about challenge. The challenge is the nail salon. I again, I don't do the day to day. Oh my god, poor poor Chrissy. She she deals with a lot. You know, and it's not just hey, let's let's operate a place. I mean, now you got to pay people. Now you got to pay taxes. Now you have to worry about the water heater broke. We have to fix it. It's it literally is a nonstop thing. I I envy those business owners that are headstrong, that are doing a hundred miles an hour, and they're not looking back. That's not me. I, I'm very very risk adverse. Very, you know, I'm very calculated. But at the end of the day, you just got to do it. So okay, and I think COVID is what made me realize. Shit happens. Mm-hmm. You can't plan for this. Mm-hmm. No one planned for this. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So what? Adapt. Adapt. But I'll tell you, I have learned so much out of this process. So much. And the hardest, the thing that you asked me, when did you kind of change change gears, was through leading people through this business. So whenever whenever the world closed, whenever Rona happened, and the business had to be shut down, Instead of telling people, hey, go file an employment, I don't know what's going to happen. We said, we're going to continue paying you out of pocket. Every single person out of pocket. You're not going to miss a beat. Whether that takes two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, whatever. And we kind of made a commitment to that. In the same process, I was dealing with uh, the CARES Act, the PPP program. So I was one of the first ones that raised my hand and said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll apply. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily we didn't have to be out of pocket for too long, but we, we told our team, Chrissy told her team that we're going to continue keeping you. We're going to continue paying for you to make sure your rent's paid, your food's on the table. And that to me completely changed my life in a better way because I can't just punt to the next person above me or I can't punt to Chrissy and say, because we're essentially one and the same person, right? We're, we're, we're the boss. Mm-hmm. I can't say, hey, go talk to someone else about it. We're the ones writing the check. So we're the ones, so at the end of the day, we're there to make sure that other people have a job, that other people are happy, and they're happy where they are in every single day. And recognition is huge, 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 huge. Just, just thanking somebody. You know, you look back at however long you've been in, in IT uh, and, you know, now you run the other half of the company, <laughs> you know, just somebody, your leader, your manager coming in and saying, Sean, thank you for what you do. That's a big deal. It is. It's huge. Yeah. So for, for us, it's been, hey, best nail tech, best this, best that, best that. We're actually creating awards for this. You know, we have we, we say we're you're an award winning person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just being able to, to recognize somebody. I love it. That's fantastic. And that's that, I mean, honestly, that all stems from B and I, the, the core values and that you can apply to any part of your life, any business. And it, it'll literally transform yeah. your business. So aside from uh, the house in Concan, what's next? I don't know. Just busting my ass. Yeah. Yeah. We open up our branch in two weeks in Creekside Park. Okay. For Austin Bank. And uh, that's that that is a not a challenge, but it's and it's so exciting to lead a team 
and actually being a, in a organization that values your opinion. That's a huge deal. Something like, hey, approve these plans. What about this budget? You know, I've never been a part of that, ever. Well, it speaks to the importance of inclusion. So Hitch talks about identity, purpose, reward, and inclusion. Maybe there's another one in there. But the inclusion piece is, is so huge. And a lot of businesses just completely gloss over it and, and forget about the importance of, of that inclusion. Because when you, when you think about, especially with, with large organizations, you've got your, your executive leadership and middle management and then the kind of people that are on the front lines. A lot of times the challenges on the front lines don't really make it all the way up mm-hmm. in the manner that they should. And as, as senior leadership, pulling those people in and saying, hey, here's our plan. What are your thoughts? What are we missing? Because you're going to be missing something. It's going to happen. Yep. That inclusion in pulling them in gives you as a leader valuable insight into what's going on, but also gives them a sense of purpose, the fact that you're acknowledging them, you're pulling them in, you value their feedback. Those things... I mean, it, it builds so much trust with the people on your team that, I mean, it just can't be, can't be overlooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I gotta say, that's one thing this bank is really, really good at is is communication and asking everyone, asking everyone for their opinion, and publicly, mm-hmm. publicly including everybody in a decision, which is great. Publicly recognizing an employee. Um, you remember when you were a kid, you, you, you came home and, and you had this amazing drawing and you, or, or you had a, a great test grade and you had got an eight plus, right? And you brought it home and you gave it to your mom. What did she do with it? She put, put it on, on the, the fridge. fridge. Put it on the mm-hmm. fridge. That's right. Why don't we do that with people? Why aren't we taking their drawing and put it on the fridge? That's what kind of, um, I started doing this a while ago in recognizing people publicly in my team with, with the whole branch of saying, hey, congratulations on this milestone, congratulations on, on this. And that's something that this bank does very, very well, is that note on the fridge to thank the entire team for doing something. Mm-hmm. Are you hiring? <laughs> <laughs> joke. Just we a are. Joke. We are. <laughs> okay. So, um, Okay. So you've got a few avenues that you can help people out from the banking side, from the salon side. How do people reach you? Google me. All right. No, seriously, um, I'm all over Instagram, all over Facebook, all over. I mean, obviously, if you Google my name, I'm on the B&I, you know, uh, chapter right away. Um, So I'm I'd love to do I'd love to give back more. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know how to do that. And I think it's been, it's been welcoming by people reaching out and saying, hey, I'm not sure about this. Can you help me? Um, I'm not a professional mm-hmm. uh, at, at coaching, but I'll give you an opinion. That's, that's all I could do. Um, I'll tell you an opportunity that I got uh, this time last year was about PPP. Mm-hmm. God, it gives me chills just thinking about that. Was, <laughs> people asked me the other day, well, oh, it must have been nice in banking. You were off for like two months, right? <laughs> While the world was closed. I'm like, I was in flip-flops and shorts at two in the morning making loans. 
at the bank <laughs> for, I think we were 20 hour shifts for about oh two weeks God. straight. Yeah. You'd work, you'd go home and sleep and you know, you'd come back. You don't know what time it is, what day it is. You just keep plugging along. So the uh, United States director of BNI reached out to me and said, Hey, would you mind being a panelist on this, um, on this podcast that we're doing, this video series that we're doing to talk about this program? I said, man, I don't know. I'm not a professional. I've only been doing this for a month or Mm -hmm. two months or so, but sure, I'll give it a shot. It's just going to be a a panel of five people. We're going to have a moderator. Just shoot some questions. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe 50 people. Yeah. About ten thousand that listened to that, <laughs> and it ended up being that the day before, three people dropped out. So it was me and another lady from, I can't remember where she's from, Nevada, I think. And I think I did ninety-five percent of the talking. Mm. But to me, that um, the ability of helping somebody, of explaining that process, something that you couldn't Google and read about it, something that you can only give from personal interaction, personal work, that you can relay that to, to whoever is listening across the world was amazing. Holy shit, that opened up my eyes. Mm-hmm. Because what I got back was, you know, and I'm always, I'm super, super, um, I, I give my cell phone out, I give my email out, call me, reach me anytime. That's my home number, that's my, that's my email. The amount of text messages I got, thousands. Thank you. Thank you for explaining this. Thank you for talking about this. Wow. That opened up my world. Like, man, I, I like this. Yeah. I like being able to, I don't know, give my opinion on this. Positive, positively affect people's lives. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. So I may be branching into, into more of that. Not, not consulting, not, but I don't know, just somehow trying to give back. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're on the right path. Yeah. You've been able to build a, a lot of really impressive stuff over the years. Thanks, buddy. So uh, is there anything you want to share with the, the guests before we wrap up? No. Just appreciate you having me on here, man. This is awesome. I really enjoy it. Like, I can't thank you enough. This has been uh, just a phenomenal conversation. I've truly yeah. appreciated it. I, t- I tell everybody about, about your show. About and and you I appreciate that. I love Th- it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, so for all of you listening, thank you for taking your time to, to listen to the show. Please like and subscribe. Be like Daniel here and share with all your friends and family. And uh, I think that is, that is all we've got for the day. So y'all go out there, get it done, and have a good one.